Before we begin, I'll, I would just state for the record that today is June 6th, 2020, and my name is Ben Bauman. I'm here in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I'm speaking... Could that be the 9th instead of the 6th? Oh, sorry, the 9th. Thank you for correcting me. Yeah. <laughs> June 9th, yeah. <laughs> and I'm... That's the lawyer in me. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. I'm glad. <laughs> I don't know why I thought it was a 6th, but... Anyway, <laughs> I'm speaking via phone with uh, John Cauldron. Is it pronounced Cauldron? Correct. Okay. And you are in Portland, Indiana? Correct. Okay. And we're doing an air view for the Indiana Oral History Initiative. So, um, just to begin, uh, when and where were you born? I was born in Portland, uh, January 6, 1944. Okay. And uh, what were your parents' names? My parents, my, my dad was Colwell, C-O-L-W-E-L-L. Okay. Uh, his, he actually went by Jiggs, J-I-G-G-S. <laughs> okay. Uh, Cauldron. And my mother's name was Nyla, N-I-L-A-H. Interesting. And her maiden name was May, M-A-Y. Okay. And uh, where was your, your parents from? Uh, both of my parents uh, were from Portland. Both graduated from Portland High School. Oh, okay. All right. So how long had your family been in Indiana? Oh, uh, I think the Cauldron family moved to Indiana. I think my dad told me probably from Pennsylvania. Okay. But had been there... Uh, at least uh, uh, prior to the nineteen hundred. Okay. All right. And I think, and the May family, my mother's side was the same. Uh, and I, I don't know where they came from in the United States. I think originally they were from Germany. So. From Germany. Okay. Interesting. Um. What were your parents' occupations? Hey, my dad was a salesman, okay. and my mother was a uh, she was a grocery clerk and a long distance telephone operator. Oh, okay, interesting. And uh, did you have any siblings at all growing up, or I have I have a younger brother and a younger sister. Okay. And and what were their names? Uh, Steve and Kathy. And, K, and Kathy's with a K. Okay. A C. Got it. Um, how would you describe your childhood? Uh, I would describe it as... Uh, how would I describe it? I've been thinking about it with all the things that are going on. Everybody's talking about their past. I mean, yeah. <laughs> my, my family is very blue collar. Sure. Uh, uh, but I grew up with my grandparents around. So I mean, my my mom and dad both worked uh, as long as I can. Re I mean, I think since the time I was born, or shortly after that, the only time. My mother didn't work was when she was having my brother and my sister and me. Right. Uh, 
very blue collar. Uh, I, I never considered ourselves poor. Okay. Um, I, I, I've told people, uh, my, my grandmother, who was a, my, my grandmother and grandmother on my mother's side were very blue collar, hardworking uh, people, but were, were just neat. They were kind of a cleanly, fatty mm-hmm. <laughs> to almost an extent. Uh, and my and my grandmother, I mean, I can remember what has been told to me from the time I was, I could ever remember was just because you're poor doesn't mean you can't be neat. Right. <laughs> uh, and so uh, I grew up, uh, I, I think you, you took care of what you had. You didn't have the best of everything but what you had you took care of so right when i drive by and i see bicycles and toys laying out in the yard for days on end it was like why would you do that sure really don't have enough money to buy new bicycles so why don't you take care of the ones you've got right right that that was my uh my my parents were always very interested in education uh, neither attended college. Uh, both graduated from high school. It wasn't uh, till you know, I don't know what age I was. Uh, I talked to my grandfather, who was very well read. My grandfather on my mother's side was very well read. Uh, he told me that he dropped out of school in the eighth grade. Wow. They had a snowstorm, and so they called school off for a week, and he decided then, well, if I haven't been there for a week, then there's no reason to go back. <laughs> but he, he read, and I mean, it always fascinated me that uh, he was up on current events and yeah. everything. Yeah, that's interesting. Worked in, a, in the back room of a filling station, you know, did light mechanical work uh, later on was a custodian at the armory, but uh, he and my grandmother always worked hard, but if you went to their house, if you got something out, you had to put it back. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> the yard was neat, and, and there was just no trash around, so. Interesting. That, that, that was kind of, I was growing up, but everybody, I think they were all very interested in education, and I think from the day Maybe I started school. My folks talked about college, and uh, none of my aunts or uncles had gone to college. Uh, okay. So that, yeah. that was kind of ingrained. Interesting. And who would you say was the most like influential person in your life growing up as a child? Oh, probably my dad. Okay. He. Um, it, it was just happy. Okay. Uh, and, and things did not mean a lot to him. I mean, he wanted the things that you needed, but they didn't have to have the bells and whistles. I, I can't say the same for my mom. I mean, she she mm-hmm. probably influenced... Dad was a great influence that you can be happy 
but mom also indicated that you might be, even be happier if you had a couple bells and whistles. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. She would, she would take her money and buy the, the extra things that dad didn't think were necessary. Right. Okay. Sure. Uh, did you know much about your family's political views as a child? Uh, did not. Okay. Uh, it, it wasn't talked about one way or the other really when I was growing up. I, uh, I became interested in politics. I did a lot of reading in grade school. There was... I don't even know what the series was called. I think it was Great Americans. Okay. And all I know that in the grade school I attended, it was in the library, and they were little orange books. And I think I read like forty some of those. Okay. Uh, and a lot of them had to do with presidents, uh, business leaders, you know, just things that uh, who's who. Right. Sure. Okay. And, and I became interested in politics, and I, I think for some reason, and I have no idea why, uh, in the 52 election, so I would have been eight, Dwight Eisenhower caught my fancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a, I have a bust of him here in my law office and I had one of his oh, okay. campaign, cool, all right. campaign pins. Yeah. And, and it wasn't anything I think my folks said. Uh, I think because he was the war hero and I had an uncle that was killed. My mother's brother was killed in World War II. Okay. And so uh, my grandparents talked a lot about the war and then Eisenhower came along and it just seemed to be whatever, why it caught my fancy as an eight-year-old. Right. Uh, I don't know, but it did. Interesting. Yeah. And so that's that's where it started, and then I we had a teenage Republican club in Jay County uh, that I joined, and so. But my mom and dad were, uh, and my grandparents. I don't ever recall them actually going to political events or. Uh, talking about much. Right. Okay. Um, now, growing up, what schools did you attend as a child and teenager? I, I went all through the Portland grade schools. Okay. Junior high, high school. Right. Then, uh, at graduation, I went to Manchester College. Okay political science major and an econ minor and then following that went to IU Law School in Bloomington yeah alright great and uh, how would you describe your educational experiences overall from childhood through college uh, great <laughs> great okay uh, I had I, I told people I, I lived about a block and a half from grade school, grades one through six. Yeah. There were six six classrooms, six teachers, all women. Mm-hmm. 
None of them had a child. Wow. Uh, and none of them changed the six years I was in grade school. Wow. So the first grade teacher was my first grade teacher, and she was still first grade teacher when I left school. Yeah. And my second grade teacher, my dad had had as a second, uh, as one of his teachers. I don't know wow, okay. And the, these women, uh, I don't know that they were strict, but they... They were very in tune with what you were doing. So if, it didn't matter wh where you were. If you did something, they seemed to know about it, <laughs> and they seemed to care. Yeah. And so, um, uh, and then through junior high and high school, they were teachers that uh, I had heard about or known or interacted with and, and I, I played sports all through school and so uh, I, I, had a, I had a great experience. Yeah, okay, that's fantastic. Uh, did you have any favorite subjects? Uh, yeah, I, I, liked, I liked history. Okay. Uh, and I, I liked I actually took a business law class, I think, as a sophomore, and that's when I kind of got the bug that I thought I wanted to go to law school. I thought I either wanted to go to law school or I wanted to coach. Okay. Uh, and I I had a, uh, a kind of an econ class. I don't even remember what they called it in high school. Uh and I really liked the prof the teacher there. I guess it wasn't professor, but the teacher. And yeah. I liked econ, and, I, and the history part I liked government. So those those were my favorites. Yeah, that's I cool. Was very strong in the sciences, and I was horrible in uh, foreign language. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it seems like people are usually good at one or the other. So. <laughs> I, I dropped more foreign languages than any other course that I did. And uh, what were your views as a child of the state of Indiana or about being a Hoosier? Uh, I, I think it was really, I think kind of a pride, and, and part of it came about from... Uh, growing up in Portland, we're 10 miles from Ohio. Okay. And for recovery, which is just across the border, uh, actually sits right on the Indiana-Ohio line. Uh, I, I think growing up, you, you kind of knew of the rivalry between Indiana and Ohio. Not, not a lot of... <laughs> information about any of the other states. It was, I mean, they were, we didn't travel widely. We'd go to Michigan, I think, fishing. Okay. Was little. Yeah. Uh, but there was, there was not really the rivalry with Ohio, and so that, that kind of was part of it. And I was always, I always thought Indiana was a great place to, to live. And, mm -hmm. uh, 
Yeah, that's cool. Okay. And um, so as you got older and you went through college and grad school, how did your awareness of politics change? Uh, I, I just got more involved with it. Okay. Uh, I think it was just started really in junior high. Uh, it was pretty partisan. Sure. Uh, in high school, we had, I think, I think the Democrats had a, uh, a club, or at least there were, uh, people that I knew that didn't agree with me and, and I've been reading back in my high school yearbook and there were several comments about being very Republican and it was signed by people that I knew to be very Democrat. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so I, and I kind of thought that was a little strange because, <laughs> you know, this, I graduated in 62 from high school. Yeah. Things were still pretty... Um, I mean, we hadn't, the, the war wasn't really, that wasn't in the forefront in 62. Yeah. Uh, the race relations in Portland, Indiana, you know, it was not anything that was uh, on anybody's mind here. Right. Uh, uh, and then as I... And, and I became uh, infatuated, I think, with Richard Nixon. Okay. Uh, because and I read the, the, as much as I could about him. And he seemed to come up from, you know, a pretty middle-class family, work, worked his way through the system. Right. And uh, I had quite a few Nixon posters, and, uh, and he, he was kind of... And that followed from the Eisenhower right. situation. Uh, and I couldn't vote until uh, that, that was back when you had to be 21. So I didn't get a vote, even though I, I, I went to work and carried some placards for some Republicans prior to being able to vote. But, mm -hmm. you know, I... I the Young Republican Club, we were probably 15 or 16 out of us, and we would just meet and talk about things. And, yeah, okay. Uh, and we would, you know, have conversations with the young Democrats, uh, and, uh, but they weren't vicious, I don't think, although yeah. <laughs> there was one girl I, there was, the head of the college Republicans came to Portland when I was in high school to meet with our club, and, and he was gun home. Turned out to be, I think, a child molester later on. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, he was from Ohio. Wow. But he he could excite people. I mean, he, he, he got... Everybody all fired up, and so I, I kind of, I wanted to take him up to the drugstore where the, the one girl who was the most outspoken Democrat. 
<laughs> I, I think you can make her cry because you got all the answers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is a junior in high school or a song. I can't remember exactly what year. Um, and I did not see her again until our 50th class reunion. She, after we both graduated from high school and then after college, she went out east and she came back for our 50th class reunion and said, are you still a red-hot Republican? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I said, I'm guessing you haven't changed, but, <laughs> was, but those were, you know, we, it, it was, it got intense at times, but I think it caused us all to read more or try to research stuff. And yeah. Obviously, back then, yeah. it wasn't nearly as easy to right. Google this or Google that. Sure. If you live in Portland, Indiana, and, you're, and nobody could afford to buy the Indianapolis paper, or you got the mm -hmm. local, so yeah. uh, you go to the library, and you read, and, and there, things are a little late in getting to you. They, they weren't the news of the day other than if you're reading the newspapers at the library. And, yeah. But, I mean, the books were <laughs> obviously uh, things that happened a long time ago. Sure, but, sure. But the political environment here was, it was, it was a fun group to be around and, yeah. and just to discuss things, so. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. I think it made us feel more grown up if we were actually arguing over the same things adults were arguing over. Right, right. And uh, was your, did you ever have any discussions, like, as you had started to really develop political views with your parents at all, or, or were they still pretty just kind of not interested, or? I don't know that they weren't interested. It just, it just wasn't who I talked with. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, folks, my folks knew I I was involved. I don't know that I ever asked them how they voted. Okay. Until I ran. Yeah. I was pretty sure I wanted them to vote for me. <laughs> you hope, yes. I kind of hoped. Yeah. Okay, sure. And uh, what was your first job out of uh, grad school? Uh, I came back... Uh, practice law after I graduated from law school I came back with a actually there was a firm in Portland called Smith and Frazier okay uh, Bob Smith as I, I think I told you Bob Smith lived a half a block from my grandparents and when I was growing up he had kids in the neighborhood come over to his house on I forget what night it was and if I were at my grandparents I would go over to his house and, and he and a another lawyer just played games the other lawyer was was not married uh, both of them were Democrats uh, and he, I always thought that he was really old. I mean, he, he, he looked old when he wasn't necessarily that old. Yeah. Uh, but I kind of grew up and I knew him and once I started thinking seriously about law school, I talked to him even though I knew he was a Democrat and he was a state representative. Uh, but he practiced with Keith Frazier who was a Republican state senator. 
Yeah. And so my first year of law school, I talked to Bob Smith about coming back and practicing with him. I had watched a couple trials, or probably three or four trials that uh, he was the attorney in and was fascinated with his his skills. And then I watched Keith Frazier try a case, uh, but I never really talked to Keith. My second year of law school, I was still talking to Bob Smith about coming back, and then Bob Smith died. Okay. I had never talked to Keith Frazier about coming back uh, prior to Bob's death. And then uh, after that, I came back and sat down with Keith, and he said, you know, uh, I, I've got a lot of work here, and uh, you want to come back, here's what I'm going to pay you, which was not a lot, but mm -hmm. uh, it was going to be enough. And, and uh, he said, Bob Smith left a lot of cases uh, that were not closed out. You could work on those. And so I, I came back with and started really as a, as a clerk uh, right after graduation, I think in May of 1969. I didn't take the bar until uh, late August or September and didn't get admitted, I'm looking at it right now, till the 19th of November, 1969. So okay. I, had, I had, what, six months, almost six months of where I couldn't practice, but I was in the law firm doing a lot of work. And back then, you really couldn't do anything. Uh, it was the unauthorized practice. We've certainly given law students a lot greater latitude now as to actually learn the trade. Right. But, but I was in the office, and so I started working with Keith, uh, actually started practicing on November 19th of 1969. And in the summer, in May of 1970, yeah, okay. he told me he was going to run for judge. <laughs> so I'd, I'd been practicing law for six months, and he kind of then just turned everything over to me. I mean, he was a great golfer. And he knew he was he was unopposed in the in the election, so he's going to be judge come January one of nineteen seventy one. Okay. And I'm going to be practicing by myself, having actually practiced for a month or thirteen and a half months at at the office, which had been there from the I believe the thirties, maybe. Yeah. Thirty, and those clients were coming in, and so I never wanted to be a single practitioner, and so uh, I represented the bank where our offices were, and they said we'll help you find somebody, and so I called a, a friend of mine who I'd gone all through Manchester College with. Oh, okay. And all through Indiana law school with and, and we had actually painted after our first year of law school it was called CNF painting 
Hmm. And he had gone off to uh, Knoxville, Tennessee to be an in-house attorney for the uh, TVA. Interesting. And it was one of the best jobs out of law school, one of the highest paying jobs. And so we made the trip down to Knoxville and said, hey, do you want to come back? <laughs> do you want to quit this job that you've had for a year <laughs> making good money uh, and come to Portland and practice with me? Because I don't know how much money we're going to make, but I think we'll do okay. <laughs> and he called back in a couple of weeks after we visited and said, yeah, I think that's, that's a, something I would like. So and hmm. I think in June or early July of 1971, my current law partner and I started practicing together, and that that was kind of the start of my law career. Yeah. And then in 1974, I told him, you know, I, I thought I wanted to run for the legislature. Okay. And, uh, and so I would be gone for <laughs> three months or four months yep. out of one year and three months out of the other. As I look back on it, if he had said the same thing to me, I'd go, what? We just started, you know. We, am I going to run this office by myself or... <laughs> You know, this extended period of time, but it, it worked out. Yeah, okay, wow, that's great. He was much more understanding than I think I would have been. Yeah. Um, turning uh, towards, like, your family, uh, when, if at all, did you get married? Uh, I got married in 1965. It was the end of my junior year of college and my wife's sophomore year of college. Oh, okay. Uh, really a smart move there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, we just celebrated on May 30th our 50, 50, oh, 50 yes, 55th. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. And, so, uh, yeah. We... My, my wife has also put up with me being in politics. Yeah. I told her she knew that when we started dating. I mean, we started dating as a junior and sophomore in high school. So sure. Kind of worked out, too. That, that's worked, too. I've had, I've had two, two, quote, marriages, one with a law partner and one with a wife. And, <laughs> and both of them have to the test of time. So. Yeah, that's that's great. <laughs> which, which says to me that both of them were more understanding than I probably deserved. <laughs> you lucked out then, I guess. <laughs> I did luck out. And uh, what was your wife's name? Her, her name is Diane. Diane, okay. D-I-A-N-E. Okay. And do you two have any children? We have three children. Okay. I have Two sons, Jade, uh, was born when I was in law school, at the end of my second year of law school, and Eric was born 14 months later as in my first year of practice, and then Julie uh, two years after that. Okay, sure. And... Uh 
How did your family influence your career as a lawyer and also as a politician? <laughs> well, I, I, the kids, uh, I think they kind of enjoyed it, mm -hmm. uh, the campaigning, obviously, in 74, Jane would have been six, Eric would have been five, and Julie was two. Yeah. Uh, so we did a lot of things, although uh, I told people I ran in the Watergate year. Yeah. Uh, it was an open seat. It was Jay, half of Jay County, all of Randolph County, and the top tier of townships in Wayne County was the old district. And we went around, uh, did a lot of door-to-door. -door. So I say a lot of it. We did it on weekends. It's not what they do today. Right. Uh, I think I spent 1500 15 to $1,600 for my primary. There were four of us in the primary. Uh, and I spent $1,600 in the primary and general election in the Watergate year. Okay. Uh, later on, this same district, uh, Bill Davis spent, I think, $496,000 to defeat Ron Leggett, who spent about $490,000. Wow. Uh, times have changed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the family, we, we did, we painted some plywood signs, stenciled them. Mm -hmm. That was a family deal, and my wife's sorority did it. I mean, there were, there were just things that we did. We were, uh, we were the youth sponsors of the youth group at the church, and the youth group went campaigning with me okay. uh, on, the, on the weekends. Yeah. Well, usually on Saturday. We didn't campaign on Sunday, but we would do Saturdays. Uh, and, and our kids were with us, and I think we had, I, I think, 20 parades, and uh, the kids... I, I drove the kids to the parade in the back of a 1929 Ford Roadster, and they were in the rumble seat. I think, <laughs> as I look back now, child services would have been investigating. <laughs> you, you got three kids under six years old sitting in the back seat of a rumble seat of a 1929 Ford that has a taillight on it about the size of a cup. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, and so... Uh, but <laughs> we, uh, we survived and nobody was killed or yeah. injured but I look back and think you know that wasn't the brightest thing I've ever done in my life but uh, we did it so. sure, but, sure. But, but I think they liked it they liked going to the, the events and then when I was elected there were certain places we got to go uh, and you can take the kids. Yeah, okay. And they enjoyed that. Uh, they got to meet the governor, the lieutenant governor. Yeah, that's neat. Those kind of things, so. 
a fun time. Yeah. I, I think uh, my wife and I have had several discussions about it, and I said, you know, I, I have to give her the credit for raising our family. I, I think we had special sessions, uh, so it wasn't just three months or four months. Right. Uh, I'd be back down in the summer. Uh, Diane stayed here in Portland with the kids. I would... I would leave either on Sunday night to go down for meetings uh, and then come back uh, sometime on either Friday morning. Sometimes we had Fridays off, but not, not all the time. Yeah. Uh, and she was raising three kids. <laughs> uh, wow. And I said... That's as I look back on. I think there were some things I missed. Although I think there were things that they got to do that they wouldn't have. But still, I was gone a lot. And sure. Uh, so that that's the one regret. I think you know I was thirty years old when I got elected, uh, and there's. Being around the legislature, I mean, it's it's, it's an honor, but mm-hmm. uh, you, you get all the papers or all the mail addressed to you as honorable, and you start, I think, at some point believing you really are. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know, uh, hey, uh, lobbyists uh, take you to dinner, and right. I mean, it's it's just almost surreal if you look back on it. Yeah, yeah. And and at 30 years old, it was this kind of neat. You got to go to the Indianapolis 500. I got to go to the uh, all the basketball games I wanted to go to. Yeah. And and back then, the thing that was the biggest perk I think of being a state representative or a state senator was. The Indiana Movie Theaters Association gave you a pass to get you and your family in to almost every movie theater in the state of Indiana. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I mean, you could unfold it. It was all, it was kind of like an accordion card, which had every, uh, Indoor theater and drive-in in the state mm-hmm. of Indiana. You just showed Jeez. them your card and you got in. Yeah. That's <laughs> pretty wild. So, neither to say my kids got it. We went to a lot of movies. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, take advantage of it. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's cool. Now, when you uh, first got involved in politics... Were there any key issues or legislation that you were interested in, in, like, really trying to champion or fight against? Uh, I don't. uh, uh, When I got to the legislature, the Equal Rights Amendment, Mm -hmm. uh, I I had a conversation with our uh, editor of the newspaper who was the... His dad owned the paper back when I ran, and he's still, he's now in charge of it now. We had a conversation not too long ago. I was not an ERA supporter. I thought that the Constitution created everybody the same. Mm-hmm. This this was kind of a, 
a, a belt and suspender thing saying, okay, not only are you really equal, but we're saying you're going to be equal again mm-hmm. just to women. And, right. and so that I was not a big proponent of that because I thought it was already there. Okay. I thought I think they were equal. Uh, and my wife was not a big supporter of it. And she goes, uh, actually, I think I'm superior to you, and I don't want something that just says I'm equal. So Interesting. Uh, okay. So she was supportive of me not being supportive of it. Right. Uh, there were. I I didn't go in with a plan. Uh, I kind of when I campaigned said, you know, I don't have the answers. I'm just looking for the problem. I, right. Uh, I I'm going to go down. I'm going to listen and uh, and I'm going to do my research. So. Uh, I was interested in education. Uh, I, I thought, you know, that was a key to most all of our problems. Uh, and I think that was ingrained in me because uh, my parents thought it was very important, even though they didn't have a higher education. Right. Uh, and so I thought. This is something that is achievable if you work at it. It, it can be done, and you need supportive families, and uh, so that was that was kind of my uh, ed- education was, was on, the, on the top of my list. I think. Yeah. We funded it. I worked hard in that area. Sure. Okay. Yeah, interesting. And uh, did you have any uh, state or, or local political heroes or people you looked up to? Yeah, uh, like I said, Nixon. <laughs> sounds strange to say it now, but <laughs> he was the one that kind of yeah. Uh, you know, I kind of looked at it along with Eisenhower. I remember uh, Ike, Ike was just there. Right. The locals, I didn't know a lot of them. Uh, I, I mean, I did the Bob Smith, but that was, he was out of it by the time I came back. I, think, I forget, you sent me the information the last year he was in would have been in the 60s. Right. Uh, probably in the middle 60s. Keith was out of it. Uh, I, as I got uh, down to Indianapolis, I, I was a big supporter of Governor Bowen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I was a big Bob Orr. Okay. Uh, and, and I think and Frank O'Bannon was one of the people that I met that I had a great relationship with and then obviously I I worked for speakers and the president pro tem and I worked for Governor Bowen after I left the legislature so Oh okay. Interesting. And you've already kind of talked about sort of how you developed into getting involved with uh, the General Assembly um, what was the main reasoning, though, for, like, running for the General Assembly? Did it just seem like a, an opportunity that just came up, or 
did you always want to be a member of the General Assembly, or? When I was in college, I was infatuated with Congress. Uh, and uh, the more I studied about it, at some point in time, I thought I wanted to run for the House of Representatives. But that was probably uh, junior, senior year, and undergrad. Uh, and I, I thought going to law school would be a part of that journey, would help. And then in 74, the, the, the seat opened up. The, yeah. the representative from our district was a chiropractor from Winchester, and he had decided he was not going to run again. Sure. Uh, I believe the prosecutor had kind of talked to him that maybe they were looking into some things that kind of uh, hurried up his decision to not run again. Right. Uh, and so it was going to be an open seat. Well, Watergate had not broke yet, so it wasn't like this was going to be the biggest uphill battle. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, there were, like I said, Jay County was not the primary population of the House District. Mm -hmm. uh, Randolph County was, and so, but I thought, you know, if it's an open seat, I don't want to run against an incumbent at some point in time. That wasn't ever in my mind, but here was an open seat. I thought it was early in my legal career, but, you know, when's it going to open up again? I talked it over with my wife, my law partner. Yeah. And when uh, it ended up with three people from Randolph County running against me in the primary, I thought that kind of evened the deck a little bit. If they would split Randolph County and I could win Jay and Sure. So my own in Wayne County, I had a chance, and so uh, it it seemed like a part time job. Yeah. <laughs> I told my wife and my law partner that, but, um, <laughs> and uh, it, that just came about. I yeah. Uh, I, I had a conversation with the outgoing representative who happened to be the county chairman of Randolph County, but he had a chiropractic office in Portland, and I kind of made up my mind I wanted to run, so I thought I would go talk to him. I knew, I thought, here's, here's the protocol that I talked to the county chairman and let them know I'm interested. Yeah, okay. I went to talk to him, and he asked me some questions I thought had nothing to do with anything, and then he told me, he said, I don't want to discourage you, but he said, uh, I was instrumental in having the district drawn, and it's, it's for a Randolph County person to be the representative, and uh, if you run, you, you aren't going to win. That's interesting. Wow, okay. Uh, and I... I came home and I was more determined then to run than sure. I was when I went to talk to him. And, yeah. And so we 
tried to map out a strategy to how we could uh, do at least hold our own in Randolph County. And um, he was on the house, and I talked with a lady who was going to be their new county chairman, and she, she had a very good friend in Portland. Hmm, okay. And he said, you need to go talk to Shirley Wright. Shirley was the vice chair in Randolph County. And so I went to talk to her, and she said, John, I have to tell you, you know, I think I'm going to be the new county chairman. I cannot just come out for you, but I want to introduce you to some people <laughs> in Randolph that I think will help you a great deal. Yeah. And uh, the one opponent in Randolph County was from the far east side of the district. Uh, the other two were in the middle of the district. And the west side, which was farmland and Parker City, were really two of the strongest Republican townships in in Randolph County and right. I she talked like she introduced me to the two precinct committee men and they said on primary day I want you here at the poll. I want your wife and my wife was in farmland and I was in Parker City or one way or the other. Standing with the precinct committee men who introduced me to everybody who went in to vote. Okay. Uh, and when the results, and, and my brother was in, was down at Lynn, which was another one where there wasn't any of the three people from Randolph County weren't from that area. My right. was introduced to the precinct committee down there. And he went down and stood there. And then the, when the vote came in, the person I thought was the biggest opponent I had in the primary called me and he said, John, I want to congratulate you. He's he a really nice guy. He's about my age, a school teacher. Okay. And said, I just have a question. Uh, how in the hell did you win <laughs> Farm and uh, Parker City? <laughs> and I said, I just, I worked hard there. <laughs> and you came in second and the Fountain City. And I said, well, my brother was at the polls there. I never mentioned Shirley Wright's name. She uh, she has been a lifelong friend of mine, and I love her dearly. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it, it was one of those things, and we wow. won those precincts, and I won Jay County fairly large. They didn't even campaign much, so it was... It was a combination of I lived here all my life, and uh, they didn't come down here. They didn't think it mattered because they were going to win in Randolph County. So. Sure, that's so that's yeah. That's how it came about. Yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty impressive then that you're able to overcome all those things and get elected. That's cool. Um, well, the impressive thing was I had some really yeah friends, yeah people that supported me. And went out of their way, and without them, it wasn't what I did, it was what they did. Sure. So, 
what was your first election day like? How did you feel? Uh, in the primary, the first first day, the, that day, I did not go to any of the gatherings. I actually stayed out at the radio station to hear the results. Mm-hmm. I I wasn't sure what was going to happen. Right. Uh, the 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 Watergate thing was starting to heat up, but uh, then in the fall, uh, my opponent was a farmer out of Randolph County and did not work real hard. I think uh, it had been a pretty solid Republican seat for years. Okay. Uh, he didn't work very hard, and but I I saw that tide was turning pretty quickly. Right. And we worked pretty hard. Uh, the youth group spent a lot of time, and there was a group of friends that we worked with, or that we ran around with, and my wife's sorority, those people worked really hard. I mean, we put more bottle cap, uh, plastic bottle cap holders, or... Yeah. Because everybody then, all the soft drinks were in bottles, and I put them in every grocery store in the district, and uh, they were cheap. (laughs) (laughs) And and we had enough radio, and we painted up our own signs that I put around, and uh, he didn't do much. But I I, I think I won by 500 votes in in 74, uh, which... Uh, was a pretty close race and you just kind of watched it and I thought, man, you know, this is... And, and I think that was the year the Republicans went from 72 to 46. Wow. I, I, think, I think we lost uh, the 26 seats that year. Jeez, yeah. And so I went down and there, was one, there were only three of us that were freshman Republicans. Right. 26, I think, 26 Democrat freshmen. Uh, and after that, I, I mean, I, I'd been to the, I'd gone to the General Assembly to write a paper when I was in college at, at Manchester. And I think I spent two days there. Yeah. And I, and I may have spent one day before that so I spent actually watched the General Assembly three days in my life. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, uh, it was an exciting day, and and the and the really good thing about I think my first year in the legislature is that there were twenty nine of us who had not been there before, so we didn't know who we liked or we didn't like. Right, right. We had no history and I I kind of piled around with uh, some of the Democrats and some of the <laughs> the younger Republicans and, and it wasn't uh, vicious. Uh, I yeah. some of my very best friends were Democrats. But they were there for the first time. And one of the funny things that happened is that some of, there were a lot of rural Democrats got elected that year. Okay. And 
of the 26, not one of them was an attorney. Wow, that's uh, that's interesting. And I got a, I, there was a group of three or four of them that came to me and said, hey, can you come and talk to our group? Because you're an attorney. And I said, I practice law. I, <laughs> I came down here the first day with you. I, I've read the rules. Of, uh, I think <laughs> I understand some of them, but, you know, I'm pretty novice at this, but us, we'll sit down and we can talk about, you know, what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was kind of, kind of a neat relationship. Yeah. Uh, the Republicans who were returning, you could imagine how upset they were. They had had smooth sailing with 72 of them, and now there were 40, 43 of them right. that had been there before, and now they really disliked the people on the other side of the aisle. Yeah. And, and all of us that were there knew, we didn't know, we, we just thought they were people we could, you could like some and not like some, but you <laughs> uh, didn't have any preconceived ideas as who you liked and who you didn't. And, sure. And, so that, that was a, an interesting session. Yeah, I bet. Sounds like it. Um, did your feelings about being elected change after you were reelected? Uh, well, I came back the second time. I, I, I was a big term limit guy. Okay. And my first, I, well, and the reason I thought I was a term limit guy is I thought if I could win three elections, then maybe I could look at Congress. Right. And back then, you were not running against an incumbent Republican for Congress. Yeah. Uh, uh, so if I ran in whatever district I lived in, there was a Democrat serving there at that time. So, uh, so my, my thought was I wanted to spend three terms in the Indiana House and then run for Congress. Okay. After my first year, first term being in the minority, I kind of put the Congress in the backdrop because I thought, you know, the minority party doesn't do a lot, and I don't see the Republicans getting the majority of the House of Representatives for a long time. Right. And so my desire to go be in the minority in Congress waned greatly. So sure. I put that aside. And, uh, then my second term, I, I was on Ways and Means and got to do lots of things I thought uh, that were interesting and got involved with you know, more and more people, and uh, just what I thought was good government. I, yeah, okay. Uh, and I, I kept wondering, you know, why we keep pushing things. We say we want to do this, and then we don't do it, and I'm told we can't it's good to campaign on it, but if you do it, then you won't get reelected. And I'm going, <laughs> well, I think I'd rather get thrown out for doing what I thought was right than getting to come back because I'm not doing what's right. Right, right, yeah. It was a strange feeling. That That is but, pretty strange, yeah. <laughs> but I got to be on Ways and Means my second term, and that really was 
something I really enjoyed. Okay. You were, it, it was the nuts and bolts of what state government does. I mean, right, right. What can get done? So. Yep. And I got to be. There, there were two of us that were assigned to education, so we were the two uh, leaders on uh, the education bills, and so I, yeah. I enjoyed that. Sure. So, going back to that first day that you were, uh, or I guess just that uh, first time that you were elected, what was it like to walk into the fir- to the state house the first time as an elected official? It, it was it was humbling. Yeah. Uh, but you walked in there and you thought, you know, I, you know, I studied government enough, and I think there's 150 people doing whatever they do impacts six. Well, probably I think at the time I was elected, there was about five and a half million people. But yeah. So, this this group dictates the public policy for five plus million people. Right. That's a pretty select group. Yep. And I think the seriousness of that sort of struck me uh, that, you know, what I do here, what, what you do back home, it, it, it impacts people, family, maybe a small community, but here, it impacts the whole state. Yeah, definitely. And and I think it. I kind of looked around. And I thought, you know, this this is is, is a is an honor to kind of serve here. At, uh, and the people that I knew, I, I thought, and I thought all along that most people in the Indiana General Assembly are there for the right reasons. I, there there's a handful, I think, that have different reasons that I disagree with. But right. I think overall, both parties uh, are there to do what they think is right. Now, we, we disagree as to what's right, but it's not, they don't have an ulterior motive. Uh, I think the Republicans used to say, you know, the Democrats are soft on crime. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which was... Our way of saying these people really like the criminals. Well, they don't like the criminals <laughs> anymore than we do. They have a different idea as to how you treat them. So, uh, and I understand that we come from different backgrounds and and we have different things, and some of them work and some of them don't. So, uh, but hopefully we can at least respect each other and. And I, and I had a, a lot of friends that, on, on both sides, and and some of my best friends, philosophically, we couldn't have been further apart. Right. But, sure, I mean, yeah, that's... And, and that, I think, was something that kind of grown on me as I see uh, how how mean-spirited it can be now. And that, that yeah. Me. Yeah, I mean, uh, what's it like? People are, are people. Sure. Uh, and, and I've said, one of my very favorite friends, I, I, I have two, John Day, I don't know if you know John Day. I think I've, I've uh, heard of him. 
John Day was as liberal as you could be. Yeah. Uh, taught in the Catholic school, uh, inner city, black district, but he's a young white guy. John, John, I think, maybe was two years older than me, I think. Okay. We're close to the same age. Uh, he was from Indy, lived in inner city in Indianapolis. I live Jay County. Right. And, but John and I both went in in 74. <clears throat> and we uh, just kind of hit it off personally. But yeah. Probably didn't vote together, you know, 5% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. But I knew John Day believed. He was doing what he believed. It wasn't for a political purpose. Sure. It was because he thought it was right. Yeah. And I didn't necessarily believe that was right, but I knew he wasn't phony about it. He, right, right. And and so he and I uh, we were on a panel one day where we talked and, and stayed close friends. Uh, I haven't seen John for a bit, and I don't even know if John's still alive, but um, I think he is, but and and then Charlie Brown, uh, out of Lake County. Yeah. Uh, Charlie came when I was chief counsel of the House uh, after I left the legislature. Yeah. But we became great friends, and and I talked to Charlie on the phone, and uh, and I said, you know, Gary, Indiana, and Portland, Indiana, are two different. We 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 come from. Very different backgrounds. Right. Black Democrat and a white Republican. Yep. <laughs> urban as urban can be and pretty much rural as rural can be. But I, I love Charlie Brown, so... Yeah. And, and we can talk uh, and disagree without, you know, any... There's no problem. We can discuss right. it. Right. It wasn't, you gotta be, you're just dumber than a box of rocks. Right. It's, it's, it's gonna be right. But uh, I, if you will look on the Indiana map that the state puts out, where it tells you how far cities are from each other, if you use that gr the, the grid they have on the back of it. Yeah. From the very beginning, it says Gary to Portland. Hmm. And Charlie Brown, I have laughed about that, said, I don't think there's anybody that has made that trip either way. <laughs> but it is the example yeah. of how to use the grid. That's funny. And I said, it had to be somebody from Jay County that worked in the Department of Transportation in NDOT <laughs> that was working on the map and said, hey, I got Portland on here and Gary. Why do I do that? So <laughs> and it's, and it's been on there for... 50 years. Wow. That's interesting. Uh, and I said, and it isn't because anybody from Gary ever goes, boy, I wonder how far it is to Portland. Right. There's very few people in Portland go, how far is it to Gary? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, that's funny. I think those were the things I look back on that I, 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 I really have enjoyed the most is the people that I've met and served with. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's that's great. Um, so you mentioned that it seems like the way politics has changed over time, that's become a lot more 
sort of just tense and and uh, people are a little bit more aggressive about their or their views. Um, why do you think that is, and and how? Well, I, I think two things. I think yeah. money has driven this. Okay. And like I said, I spent fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah. Uh, and you can't say a whole lot bad about your opponent with fifteen hundred dollars. Right. And now the campaigns are directed not to what you stand for, other than I get so sick and tired of I have the NRA, the right to life, and mm-hmm. all the big ones. I've, I've got 100% uh, voting record with them. I'm going, I don't know that I've ever had 100% with anybody. But, yeah. But I think the, the amount of money you spend in the campaigns today, obviously, and the way the ads are geared toward tearing down your opponent as opposed to building you up. Right. Uh, once you get down to Indianapolis, you've said a whole lot of things, and it's a lot harder to say, well, you know, I just, I didn't mean that, but so let's kind of get along. Yeah. And they've had to work so hard to raise that money. I mean, it's, so yep. then you start believing in everything that you've said. Yeah. Uh, and and you're not going to, you're not going to waver from it. Sure. And so I think that's, I think the money to run, the time it takes to run, now drives you more into a corner than it used to. That's interesting. Uh, huh. I, I could be all wet, but I, I just right. No, I, yeah. I just think I, I didn't spend much time thinking about what my opponent was doing. I wanted to tell people what I wanted to do. Sure. And 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 there weren't the attack ads. Uh, which made, even if you weren't doing it, somebody else is doing it on your behalf now. And so yeah. if you if you beat that person and you think, you know, I had to spend all this time defending myself, and now you want to reach across the aisle, let's get be buddy buddies. I mean, I think it's just harder. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's different things now. Yeah. Um. Uh, obviously, social media drives... Sure. I, uh, when I first was in the legislature, if you wanted to call me uh, in Indianapolis, there was not an 800 number. Right. You had to actually pay for it and call down and complain, and or you had to write me a letter. Yeah. And I did not, I bet I didn't receive... I bet I didn't receive 50 letters when I was in the four years I was in. Sure. Uh, people would talk to me when I'd come home on, uh, or go to go to meetings. I was in the Lions Club, and they would talk to us. But now the pressure from your constituents with the uh, emails is you get an email right now, and they want an answer in about five minutes. Yeah. If you got a letter, they didn't expect an answer back. They didn't figure <laughs> you got the letter for three days. Right. And then they wouldn't get the answer back for three to six days. Sure. And you had time to think about your answer and respond, I think, in a much uh, more friendly manner. Right. Uh, 
But now it's, you know, I've got your email address. I'm sending it, and why haven't you responded? Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, as politicians, we tend to respond and then hit the send button. I, yeah. The quick response is okay, just not the quick send. Yeah. Uh, and you think about it, and you go, boy, I wish I had that back. So right. I, I think there are just a lot of things that uh, are now out there, good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're subject, I mean, everybody's video viewing with their phone. I mean, no matter what you do, and you can edit that to make it sound good or bad. Yep, uh, yep. That's I mean, I true. Think there's all kinds of things that drive this. And, and, I, and I blame the media to a certain extent also, that they're playing a different role now. Newspapers are trying to save themselves, and they'll tell you that. Yeah. And so they're going to write it in a manner that they think will cause people to buy the paper. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, no, I, I don't know. It's... Yeah, that's interesting. Um, <clears throat> now... Going back to sort of your uh, beginnings in the General Assembly, what expectations did you have for the legislative process? And was it more or less complicated than you expected? Or it, I was surprised that uh, of the amount of information that we got regarding uh, the bills that came about. Yeah. Uh, that you had to work a lot harder to find out what it was actually going to do. I think sure. That, uh, and, uh, you know, we did, we did operate in kind of a vacuum. There were not the number of lobbyists uh, back then that we have now. Um, yeah. Like I say, you didn't get near the input from the from the public. And, sure. and part of the part of that that bothers me is the input from the public is usually pretty thin in facts. Right. Uh, the public doesn't want to do a lot of deep digging and if the legislators don't do the deep digging, uh, then you have some things that look good, but unintended consequences yeah. uh, on the surface. Now, I think there's the good and the bad of people being involved, at least you're, you're sharing more things, uh, the impact from more different people. Now, whether or not they're all going to be true or not, but, yeah. but I think once you start sharing those, then I think it requires you to dig deep, sure, and, and maybe that's a that's a benefit that's uh, been somewhat overlooked. Yeah, okay. And, and I think there's still some that don't dig it very deep. They've got their source of information. They're gonna they're gonna buy it hook, line, and sinker. Right. And and parts of those basis will be your very large contributors. <laughs> uh, you know, if, 
the, the biggest contribution you ever got for, was $200 or $400. Uh, you would listen to them, but they weren't going to carry a whole lot of weight. I mean, right, right. Any more than the other, but where well, you've got the big money uh, interest now. Yeah. Putting yeah. huge sums in. I still don't think they buy the legislators, but they certainly uh, influence. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you have any political mentors once you got in the General Assembly? Uh, yeah, I did. I had, had two attorneys, one from uh, Richmond and Bible Valley, and Sam Reed. Sam Reed was an attorney from Muncie. Okay. They, they were the people I looked to my first term. Uh, they were close by geographically. Both of them attorneys. Uh, I think both of them were probably about 10. They were probably, I think Sam was exactly 10 years older than me, and Bob may have been 12 or years older, so he would have been in his mid-40s and Sam was 40. Right. The sad part is that both of those retired and chose not to run in 76, so my second term. Uh, and I had uh, ran around with a group of uh, pretty, pretty bright people, I thought. Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, other other attorneys, a doctor, uh, trying to think. Uh, there was probably about eight or ten. I think Ray Richardson was one that I really respected. Ray was great, just did his homework. People, he yeah. agitated a lot of people because he actually read a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and was prepared to uh, argue his uh, position, and he did it well, and he backed it up. Okay, sure. Uh, I, I looked at him uh, a lot. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Interesting. Um, do you remember what the first bill was that you sponsored? The independent colleges. I'm trying to think what they wanted. Uh, and they... Uh, they asked me if I would sponsor this bill, and I did, and I worked very hard on it. But it was one that I don't know that they really wanted to get to pass. They just wanted it out there. Okay. <laughs> and, and I worked real hard, and I think I got it passed. Uh, and it was like, huh, we tried this before, and then come to find out. It really didn't mean much, and they just <laughs> wanted to have something to talk about. <laughs> okay. And so that took that off the table, but I think that was it. And I, I, I was on some other bills. I think there were some bills uh, with sentencing. I, I don't, I don't remember. I, uh, I didn't go to the microphone a lot. I, yeah. And, and of course, my first year I was in the minority. Uh, right. And I actually, I, I will tell you, my very first committee hearing, uh, obviously it was before a Democrat committee chair. 
and I had my bill down. I can't, I can't even remember what it was. Uh, it couldn't have been very important or they wouldn't have given it to a freshman Republican in a <laughs> Democrat-controlled house. But uh, So it, it wasn't going to do a lot, but uh, I was pretty excited about it. And I, I went to the committee and they asked me to explain the bill. And I... I went on and on and on, as you can might guess the way. Yeah. <laughs> and Nick Bodine, who was an attorney out of South Bend and was really a, a good legislator, and he came up to me, and he was on the committee, and he said, John, can I give you just a hint about maybe presentation of of your bill, and I said, I'd appreciate that, and he said, um, don't tell them much at all, and he said, you'll find out that most of the people on the committee had not read the bill, <laughs> and so if you don't tell them a lot about it, they're not going to ask you a question because they're going to be afraid that you're going to tell them it's right in the bill. Oh my gosh. He said, so you know the answer, and if they ask you, you can answer it, but he said, I wouldn't tell him much to start with, and I think he'll do well. <laughs> and I thought, well, that doesn't seem quite right. I thought the committee was to really dig deep into these and to, yeah. to go over them. And, and you're telling me, no, if I tell him the least amount, I probably got the better chance of getting it through. Oh, my gosh. Because they're afraid to ask me a question that would be very much right on on the surface of the bill if they'd ever read it. So. Oh my gosh! That, that was my that was my first committee presentation. Yeah, and I think when I presented it on the floor, I took his advice and I didn't tell him much. And in fact, some of the representatives back then would come up and they would say, "This is a good bill; should should pass." Yeah. Uh, any any uh, any discussion of the bill? Any. Uh, you know, and then we would vote, and I'm like, you know, this doesn't seem quite right, but <laughs> I'm reading the bills, and I think I know what I'm doing, so I'm okay. Yeah, wow, that's interesting. <laughs> oh. Little strategies there. Yeah, yeah right. Was, <laughs> uh, I, I told legislators later on when I was on staff, uh, the new one's coming in, there's, there's some things that I learned. So. Yeah. Wow. Now, remind me one more time. You said the the first bill you sponsored was was given to you by the by the independent colleges. Yeah, I think that, okay. I can't remember exactly the name. I think they they were well. You had the state universities. Yeah. And then you had the Manchester, Franklin, right. Merlin, all those independent colleges. Yeah. And I can't remember exactly what it did. Sure. It didn't do much, and uh, and here again, they picked me because I was from Manchester and I was a new guy, and so I thought, and and lobbyists were looking for somebody that they could give something to, but they weren't all that concerned about getting. Right. Uh, I mean, if you've been around the legislature long enough, do you pick a freshman minority? Yeah. To be your bill sponsor. Sure. Uh, so, but I, 
and I'm trying to think who the lobbyist or actually was the head of the independent colleges. Well, I'd have to really go back and rack my brain. Yeah. Uh, they, okay. They chased over the years, but uh, it, it was it was their bill, and it it was it did not have a lot of substance. Okay, fair enough. Um, what was the regular interactions like amongst different members of the General Assembly? Back my the four years I was actually in the in the in the General Assembly, the the interaction was based on a couple things. Uh, one was your background. I, I mean, I tended to, to have some other lawyer friends uh, or people that were uh, closely uh, located around Jay County. Jeff right. and speak one. Jeff and I actually split Jay County. His district had half of the pre, half of the townships, and I had the other half. Um, and kind of age groups. There was a group of young guys, young Turks, on both parties. Okay. Uh, and then there was there was a couple lobbyists uh, back then that would put together groups uh, to go do things, to eat dinner. And they would ask, you know, half of the Republicans, half of the Democrats. Yeah. Go. And I met a lot of the Democrats, or became close friends with them. One, uh, there was a group of us that were big basketball fans. Okay. And you could get, we got tickets to go see IU, we got tickets to go see Indiana State, I got to go watch Larry Bird. Wow. uh, And Purdue. Yeah. And... Those colleges or those universities would put together a road trip to go to the ball games, and they were using both Democrats and Republicans. Yeah. And so a lot of the first friends that I met was because we went to ball games together, uh, either in a van or yeah, it would be a motorhome or something. Sure. Uh, and. Uh, we flew to some basketball, basketball games to, wow. uh, to Minneapolis and to uh, we went to both Minnesota and Wisconsin games and I think went out to Knoxville, Tennessee to a game with some other legislators. And, uh, but there was there was that uh, IU basketball was big then and so. A, they both had Republican and Democrat fans, so... Yeah, sure. We, we all put our red sweaters on, and <laughs> we looked like we were the all of one team, although we were representing two different teams going to the one team. So. Right. And that created some real lasting friendships. Yeah. Jim, uh, Jim McConaughey, who was a lobbyist for, I think it was Allied Insurance or something, and Jim happened to be an outstanding cook. Mm, okay. And he would put together meals at his apartment and 
usually invite maybe eight to ten of us, and then usually it'd be five and five, or maybe as many as twelve. And, yeah. And we would just sit around and have fun. That's cool. Okay. Um, yeah. And so that uh, when I later when I started live in, we didn't do a lot of mixing because the. There just was not that friendship, and we weren't sure we could create it. But yeah, uh, but Jim McConaughey did it, and we spent time with him, and he represented the Sheriff's Association and Allied. I think it was Allied Insurance, which was a bail bond company, yeah. and they got to be really close friends with. The people I met there, and they were, it would be half and half. Sure, okay. That's cool. Actually, I read in uh, an old newspaper when I was doing some research for this interview about a, an incident where, like, uh, somehow you, you had uh, left someone at, like, a basketball game. <laughs> well, that's, that's good research, yes. Uh, <laughs> I would. I was the chief counsel of the house then. Yeah. And uh, I took, I took Fortin to the, and actually, my, when I was in law school, my wife was the secretary to the vice president and treasurer, which was uh, Joe Franklin. Okay. Uh, I think his, and then Joe Franklin Jr. was the lobbyist for IU. Right. And, so uh, we we went to a lot of basketball games, and, yeah. and so Joe got the IU van, and we put fourteen people, and, and I didn't drink. That wasn't anything. Right. It wasn't a religious thing. It was just I didn't drink. Right. So I got to drive a lot. Okay. Uh, and so uh, we put fourteen people in the IU van, and then I went down. And we parked right at the door, obviously, and yeah. we had we had good tickets, and uh, we come flying out of there, and the van's right there at the door, and I want to beat the traffic back to Indianapolis. <laughs> we get back to Indianapolis, and when everybody gets out of the van at the state house, I go, did anybody see Mark Palmer? <laughs> And they said no, so I called his roommate <laughs> uh, to see if Mark had just gotten out of the van. I didn't see him. Yeah. And I, I waited enough time for him to get back to his apartment. <laughs> and I called his roommate, and I said, is Mark there? And he said, no. He said, he went to the IU basketball game. <laughs> I said, I know he went to the game. I'm just trying to figure out if he came back from the game. <laughs> and so nobody saw him, and... Uh, I called the state police down at Bloomington, asked them if a legislator would come over to see if there was a way to get a ride back to Indianapolis. <laughs> uh, it was the next morning I, I asked to meet Mark at the state house. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think that made the front page of the Indianapolis Star. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah. then the funny thing is, when I started lobbying, Mark had left the legislature, and when I left Senator Garden's staff, he called me to see if I would lobby with him. And so yeah. Mark had 
and Mark and I were great friends after that, and we played basketball together. Yeah. Yes, I did leave him. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I think I also read that he apparently got sort of revenge and left you at a game or something. Uh, that happened, yes, later. Uh, I went down, the president said, you want to go down and say hi to the team after the game? Uh, we got down on a bus. Yeah. And we went down and we stood and waited quite a while as Bobby was explaining where the team had gone wrong uh, for about 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking... Those guys, uh, I don't know what, how I'm gonna, what's going to happen, but <laughs> finally I got into the dressing room, and when we came back out, the bus had gone. And, oh, my gosh. Uh, one of the, the uh, lobbyists for IU drove me back to Indianapolis. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, yeah, things that happened and were, and turned out to be, funny stories I think yeah yeah I think so <laughs> so uh, let's see what were the uh, interactions like between the majority and minority parties you, you kind of hinted earlier that the relationship between Democrats and Republicans was fairly decent what do you think there there were there were pockets mm -hmm. of People, I, I think, uh, through my term, uh, I stayed with, I, I came back as Governor Bowen's legislative liaison for the last two years of his administration. Right. Uh, and so, uh, the first first term, the House was, the, the Republicans were the minority in the House, the majority of the Senate. My second term, the House went back majority, but the Senate went Democratic, which was the last time the Democrats controlled the Senate. Okay. It was 1978. Uh, and so I, I worked, my two terms were split houses, and so you, you had conversations back and forth. Right. Then, uh, when, when you had uh, both houses, then when I worked for Governor Bowen, we had both houses uh, and the governorship, and that continued until uh, you had, then we had the joint house. I was chief counsel for the house when, when it went 50-50. Yeah. Uh, and then... Uh, we there. There's been times when I thought there was really good relationships between the majority and the minority. I think uh, Bob Garden and Frank O'Bannon, and, and I, I learned I, I became friends with Frank my first year. He was in the, he, he was in the Senate, yeah, in uh, the minority, and I was in the minority in the House, and. And I think I either sent a bill to him or he said, I, I don't remember what, but we, we were either co-sponsors or something. And, right. And so, and then when I went over to be general counsel to the Senate, Senator Garden and, and Senator O'Bannon, they had 
gotten grown up together in, in their legislative careers, and and there was a good working relationship. And then, then things uh, I think under uh, Pat Bauer, when Pat was speaker, I think the personalities got crossways. Okay. Uh, and I think then later, after Frank was no longer the leader in the Senate, some of the leadership there, things got crossways. Okay. Uh, I mean, I've seen it work both ways, and it really was the personality of the leaders. Yeah. Uh, those that had kind of worked together and said, hey, you know, here, here's where we are. Right. Uh, and let's see what we can do. We're, we're going to have differences, but they're not going to be personal. But then later on, I think some of the new leaders didn't like that, especially the minority leaders, and I think in both parties. Yeah. Uh, didn't like the fact that uh, things were, we were still talking and we're, we're going to get things done. we got to, we got to, you know, burn and... <laughs> Right. Down barriers and that, that didn't Sure. Okay. Didn't work. So, so I've seen both uh, where uh, the leadership has gotten together, and I've been in a lot of those meetings, and, and they went well. And then I've been in a lot of those where they didn't go well. Yeah. Interesting. And, and, and it, it was more the personalities than it was the policies. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, if, if you're going to call each other names, and it's going to be publicized. I, I mean, and I see this from the president, obviously, if you look at the president and the speaker. Right. Uh, it's hard to say that's, that's going to really work out well for everybody. Sure. <laughs> Both of you are calling each other idiots, so. Yeah, it's true. Uh, and, and it's hard to get into the group and when you get together personally and say, you know, I didn't really mean you or any, I just had to say that, and they go, I didn't mean it about you either, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we'll let that bygones be bygones. No, it's in every newspaper, and so I, I think those were the things that I observed. Uh, yeah. Sure. Is that if you're going to make things work, you need to be able to talk to each other. Right. Yeah, that, that in makes a sense. Civil manner. Yeah. You can you can disagree. I don't have any problems with that. Right. But when it gets personal, then I think it's awfully hard to put that aside and go, okay, I'm sure. not going to take that personally. No, I am going to take it personally. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, um, we've been going at this for about an hour and 45 minutes. Do you need a break at all? or? Yeah, can I call you back? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I'll, get, I'll give you a call back. All right, sounds good. Okay, bye. All right, so let's see. I believe we left off rounds. Yeah, okay. So, <clears throat> what would you say was the difference when you're in the General Assembly between the House and the Senate? Senate is the length of the term. I, I mean, it's, it's 
Mm-hmm. That sounds very simplistic. Yeah. But I think that it's the house is that you're always running. Okay. I mean, as soon as you get elected, the next one is the just right around the corner. Right. And so I think... Uh, Everybody talks about, well, you should plan for long-term. Well, the long-term in the House is two years, and the long-term in the Senate is four. Right, right. And there is a difference. And I think it gives you a little opportunity to uh, think what's going to be the immediate reaction to this, and then... Uh, I think we look at it and say, you know, this I think is going to work, but when it first comes out, it's going to be a little messy. Right. And so the House members kind of get hit right away at the next election, even though by the end of four years, everybody thinks this thing is really working pretty well. Okay. And so... I think that creates uh, an environment where you look at things in a different manner is that um, we're we're gonna be, this thing's gonna work out. Now, obviously, that's probably an oversimplistic answer because half of the Senate members are gonna be doing, they're they're gonna be addressing it right away right uh but but i think overall the four years uh they're they're willing to move things along in a slower manner than the house okay sure uh and and the senate would like to believe and and is it's a more thoughtful and i'm not sure uh uh, that's uh, altogether true, but I think it they do give it a different look mm-hmm. uh, based on the fact that at least half of them are not going to suffer any repercussions immediately. Right. Uh, and this, this uh, the time you get all the things worked out then you can come back and you can amend things uh, and address them where the House, obviously, your opponent's just going to pick you apart on that. Yep. Uh, and there's there's hardly any law that is written perfectly. Sure. Yeah, makes sense. Um, what did you think about the process when it came to generating a bill? I I think that I've said this uh, I think the end product of the Indiana General Assembly has been very good okay I think it's a it's a little messy in getting there yeah Uh, I would like to see more support staff Mm, okay both both the House and the Senate. Uh, when, when you, 
when you go down there, and, and I think Indiana has taken great pride in that we don't spend a lot of money on the legislative branch of governments. Right. Um, if you look at the staff, and I've, I've visited other states, and a lot of them are very surprised at the, the, the lack of staff that the legislators have. And I, I think part of that is that they they've always referred to themselves as a part-time legislature. Yeah, okay. And so uh, there has been a push. One is that uh, the salaries, at least when I started, I think I was at $4,000. Okay. Uh, with some per diem, but you didn't get per diem year-round. Uh, you got mileage once a week. But, I mean, the whole process was that we're not going to spend a lot of money. Uh, and the only person that really had, or the only committee that had a dedicated staff that would be there year-round was Ways and Means and Senate Finance. And, and I'm trying to think if there's any... Uh, uh, now, uh, certain chairmen have at least uh, a person assigned to them, or at least a half a person. Right. But uh, but that's still very thin when you're talking about research or uh, interaction with your staff on policy. Sure, sure. Uh, we are. I think we're very light on that, and to, to do otherwise would cost uh, money. And, and people say, you know, the lobbyists control, well, mm -hmm. a lot of the research done right now is done by the lobbyists yeah. versus the uh, paid staff of the legislature. So right. you're going to get a biased report. Uh, my answer to that is, that for every issue you have in the House, there's several lobbyists on both sides. So you, you are going to hear, if you're going to have access to both sides of the issue if you choose to listen to it. Sure. Uh, but sometimes your own personal bias come into place, which I think you would not necessarily have if you had a staff that was even though they're partisan staff, you, you ask them to research this issue basically on a nonpartisan basis. Right, okay. And uh, they're not getting paid by either side, and so you, you attend to give their reports uh, greater uh, emphasis than maybe the outside ones. But right now, we have not done that other than basically in the area of finance. Right. Interesting. Okay. And um, let's see. Another question about sort of how the General Assembly functioned. What, uh, how did you typically garner support for your legislation? Uh, talking to, well, first of all, talk to your friends the ones that you interact with, sit mm -hmm. around beside, go to lunch with, 
Yeah. Then also, uh, almost every piece of legislation comes from somebody outside. Right. I mean, it's not the legislator going down with 15 or 20. I mean, you right. get Farm Bureau, if you're from a rural area, they've got their legislation. If you're from the coal mining area, they had theirs. Sure. I mean, every industry had uh, what they were looking for. Right. And they would come to you with the either a bill that they had proposed or a an idea that you would take to legislative services to have drafted. Yeah. And uh, I th- I think at one point in time my my thought was that if I had to have a bill I was gonna write it myself. I didn't know very much about legislative services and Oh, okay. That, that's that's an area those people uh, that is something I would never want to do yeah I'm certainly glad <laughs> there are people that do yeah uh, it is a it is a monumental task yeah and they try <laughs> as they say if you come to me with a really dumb idea <laughs> we can draft a pretty dumb proposal yeah <clears throat> we will we will draft what you ask us to draft and they try not to lobby for or against what you're doing it's just your bill right and even if they think it it just really runs amok of everything <laughs> they're going to draft it yeah sure uh, and and they should and that's where I think from the drafting standpoint, we have a great system, I think. Yeah, okay. And, but from then, uh, from the individual legislator standpoint, they really don't have the staff to go to. But in, in the end, I have been, during my years in the, associated with the General Assembly, I've been pretty proud of the final outcome, what's come out. Yeah, okay, that's good. Uh, Now, are there, there's, as I refer to them as goofy things that we do uh, or try to do, uh, get through every once in a while. But on the whole, I think the end product is is a pretty good product. Uh, Yeah. And I look at it from the standpoint of what resources they have available to them. Sure. The time that they spend, and that they're also at home, you know, almost all of them with some other occupation. Now, it's getting less and less of that. You're getting more people that are retired or... Right. ...or causing calling that to be their career because you can live on it now just yeah. not well <laughs> right right um, and so you've got some young people who haven't gone out and they're not giving up a lot so they're gonna they're gonna be hard to beat because they're gonna do it like a full time job so they're campaigning yeah. they're not going back and working someplace else they're gonna live off of their legislative salary and for them yeah 
So, uh, but, but I think the end product, when it goes through the process, and sometimes it looks like it's not being vetted very well, but I think there's enough people at play that the really bad stuff uh, gets uh, sorted out. Okay, and, right. And, and I, I, I think the end product is pretty good. Yeah, that's good. Um, now, when people were voting on legislation, did you ever feel like you had a sense of how people would vote prior to them actually voting? Yes. Okay. Because uh, most of the time, and, and here's, here's the thing I think people forget. Mm-hmm. If you look at the, the bills that are passed, how many of them will pass with an overwhelming majority or unanimous support? Right. They are not partisan in nature. They they address concerns, uh, and you may disagree with where it's going, but you think when it's all said and done, this is the thing to do. Sure. Uh, or it's the right thing to do. Uh, and so there's a lot of just. Uh, what you'd refer to as mundane situations you're addressing that come up, uh, and you say, this particular law that we have right now, here are the flaws in it, and what we're going to do is correct it. And it doesn't have anything to do with Republicans or Democrats, uh, men, women, uh, white, black, or anything else like that. It just deals with kind of the everyday nuts and bolts of making things work. Right. And those bills, you get surprised every once in a while, somebody will vote. You'll have 99 people voting aye and one person voting no. (laughs) Yeah. What is that? Yeah. And they didn't go up and say anything against it, so they weren't trying to persuade anybody else. And it, it was always interesting to find out. One, they didn't like the author had said something to them or voted against one of their bills sometime. Right. So they're going to vote against theirs. The, uh, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of conversations. You're sitting there on the floor in, in a group, uh, and you've been in committee with them, you've heard this or that, and then once you listen to the debate on the floor, you can pretty well tell where the vote's going or who's who's going to support this. I mean, if you've got three people that talk, after a while, you understand that those three people represent 12, right. basically. There's there's a group that thinks that way, uh, and three will get up and talk, and 12 will vote with those three. Yeah. Um, and 
then you learn that over just being around. But on these issues, this is where they stand. Uh, and then every once in a while, they will have a personal uh, attachment to the bill or the subject matter that runs totally contrary to their whole political philosophy, but they've had something happen in their family or a friend or something right. that causes them to change their general philosophy into this specific area and, and vote the other way. And those sometimes come out of the blue. You're, you're, you're a little surprised with that. You'll go talk to them and say, oh, well, I'm usually against this, however, I've got a friend that this happened to, and therefore this is why I'm voting that way. So right, that uh, makes sense. Um, now, during your time in the General Assembly, how influential were uh, party leadership when it came to uh, legislation, and you know how members would act and what they would do? Uh, leadership, I think by definition, means that you lead. Okay. Uh, and the leadership in both houses and in both parties come from people who have the ability to garner support for their ideas. They work hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to be honest. Uh, they're just not blowing smoke. Right. Uh, don't have to agree with them, but at least you think they're doing it because that's what they think is right. Sure. Uh, and, and you put that, then you add to that, as a member of a caucus, leadership assigns you to a committee. They assign you to uh, other leadership positions, and they can assign you (laughs) to those. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, If if they made you the chair, they can make you not the chair. Right. Uh, And so I think there is the the feeling, and, and not that you cannot buck leadership, but there's a usually a price to be paid. Um, And and certain people never want to be in leadership. They want to be the thorn in the side of leadership. Now, we're on your team, however. We we just don't want to be on the other team, but we don't necessarily like what our team's doing. Right. And, And those people tend to be put in positions where their influence is marginalized. Okay. Uh, and, and you can understand that. Yeah. Is that at some point in time, it takes 51 people to adopt it in the House and 26 in the Senate. Sure. And it doesn't really matter how many people you have. If, if you've got... Uh, you know, 70 people, uh, everybody thinks, well, you can let, you know, 20 of them do whatever they want to do and the other 51. Now, 
that doesn't create for a very harmonious uh, caucus. Sure. And because the, uh, the twenty seems to always be the ones on the owls trying to figure out how they can play the game that benefits them but nobody else. And so. Yep. Uh, and and I think the caucuses. Uh, the ability to convince people, persuade people uh, to a common resolve, I think uh, that role that leadership plays uh, is very important. Yeah. And you just can't do it because you're the leader. Right. The people that elected you as the leader can unelect you. Yep. <laughs> as a leader. Uh, and so it's, uh, it, it, it takes a certain personality, I think, to move the group in the direction. One, I, I think you're, you're probably going to move them in the direction that they want to be moved. Yeah. Uh, However, there will come times when you think, you know, I think we're going the wrong way. And I've got more people that want to go the other way than this way. And so I'm going to do two things. One, I'm going to try to change right. direction if I can, because I think it's, it will be the right way to go. Or you come to the realization that it's going to cost you, that you're going to win the battle and lose the war. Yeah. And, and so I, I think uh, the leaders that I've worked for uh, try to build a consensus. Uh, and, and if you're the leader, you would like for everybody to come to that final decision. Right. Uh, that isn't going to happen all the time. A lot of the times it does. Sure. And, and it comes, and when you see a hundred people voting for a bill, it is, it wasn't the speaker that got it that way. Obviously, it just was the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Or, or at least everybody agreed it was. Right, that makes and sense. so, uh, the minority didn't have to stand up and say, well, just because this is a Republican idea, we need to oppose it. And, sure. Uh, and, and the basis that we need to oppose it is because it's a Republican idea. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and that doesn't really work well long. Yeah, uh, yeah. Now, there are certain basic premises that you know this one's going to go party line or really close to it because we have differences of opinions. I mean, there are two parties. And if everybody agreed on everything, oh, we'd only need one party. Yeah, true. So, and, and when you only have one party, I don't think you dig nearly as deep into the subject matter if nobody challenges what you say. Right, right. Uh, I, I think the two-party system works uh, for that, for the betterment of everybody. Mm -hmm. is. Nobody has the absolute <laughs> right answer all the time. Right, uh, yeah. 
That's interesting. Based on party lines. And so, uh, that drawn into question. And I think uh, the Democrats at least have made the argument that supermajorities uh, can be detrimental. Yeah. And, and, and I, I don't disagree that they can be that they I don't disagree with that they yeah. can be not they're not always but it certainly uh, eliminates some of the of the dialogue and the discussion and uh, kind of does away with certain points of view being given serious consideration sure yeah that yeah, makes sense um what about when it came to uh, working with uh, the other side, Democrats? You know, was it important to work with the other side? Did you need to do that? Or I, I think it was very important. I think, one, to uh, kind of respect each individual. I mean... Uh, Everyone was sent there by a group of people, and so yeah. they are there basically on the same basis you are. I got elected here, you got elected there. Uh, does Jay County look like any other county? Right down the, you know, in lockstep? No. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I, I think to have respect for the opposition is is very important. Right. And, um, and it, it, it makes it a lot more enjoyable to have discussions. Uh, I mean, I, I, you think back and the groups you run around with, uh, not everybody in that group agrees on everything and they'll point it out and we and we can go on and sure. say yeah I, I, I either I changed my mind or I didn't but I understand you have your points of view and I have mine and yeah and we will uh, respect each other we will just agree to disagree not to be just absolutely walk out of the room and I'm not ever going to talk to you again uh, but I, I think uh, when, when you look at it and you say, first of all, <laughs> I, I told people, they say, well, this government seems to be a little mess. This type of government seems to be a little messy. And I go, <laughs> you know, if, if you want to get things done in a hurry and the, the basic form of government for that would be a benevolent dictatorship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, if he does everything well for everybody, uh, it cuts through a lot of the other stuff. But yeah. Those don't seem to really work out very well. Yeah. Or there aren't those people that uh, fit that bill. Yeah. And so now we've got this form, and we say, okay, how do we make it work? Right, right. And we make it work only if we continue to talk to each other. Yep. Um, and and I, so, and, and that means within the Republican Party you talk to each other, and it also means that you're talking to the Democrats. Yeah. And 
I mean, because if you look at the backgrounds, and I think that's the beauty of the Indiana General Assembly. Uh, at one time, everybody thought, everybody there's a lawyer. Well, that isn't the case. Uh, everybody there isn't a farmer. I mean, they come from different backgrounds, and the laws that we pass impact people where they are. Yeah. And it's not the same. Uh, if you put this tax on this, uh, you're probably going to benefit somebody, and it's going to be a, a disincentive on somebody else. Right. And, and you have to know that, and you try to play what is, where do we get to the best overall for everybody? And we're going to tax some here, some there. Uh, and rest assured that if we're going to have government, we're going to have taxes. Yeah. Uh, I, I've always been very skeptical of the people who run on a platform that I'll never raise your taxes. Yep. Uh, and I'm assuming that they mean that I don't necessarily will give you the services you want either. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can't have one without the other. Yeah, it definitely can make things more complicated fast if that's the platform. So, yeah. 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 Interesting. Um, so now a different type of question now. Um, what does the public not know about the Indiana General Assembly and how it operates? I, I don't think that know that the people spend as much time as they do okay. uh, doing what they do. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of a around the, the ring a little bit. But yeah. The people put in a lot of time and I think they do it for the right reason. Right. And uh You know, in this, this country, we operate on a basis that the majority kind of rules, whether we like it or not. Mm -hmm. I don't mean in, in ethnicity, but, uh, and, but we're, we're hearing a lot about that right now. Right. Uh, but how we, how we get to the place uh, that every all of these bills will impact people differently. Yeah. And that's not all bad, that's not all good. Uh, and I think we then see how that difference impacts the overall quality of life for everybody. Right. Say, okay, here's, here's a group that's going to pay a bigger price because it creates a greater good. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, what were the most controversial legislative issues during your time in the Assembly? I think, uh, I think the Equal Rights Amendment was one. Okay. Uh, what that seems strange if you're talking about it was daylight savings time. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, that, that one, they said, well, people don't know what time it is. I said, that's why we got clocks. And, <laughs> and uh, 
<laughs> and one would think if there was ever a time where daylight savings time would not make a great deal of difference, is that when you have computers, that will you just program that in. So yeah. you know who's where at what time. <laughs> right. And uh, But, I mean, those arguments uh, are, are worth... They, they amused me. Yeah. Uh, as to one was going to be the salvation of jobs all over the place. Uh, people would be moving in here by the droves. Uh, and it was back and forth, and that, that was the big ones. Yeah. Uh, the other... Uh, well, right to work was a huge one. And, and then I think education has always been one of the stickiest uh, areas. Yeah. And, and I think part of that is most of us think we know something, something about education because we went through it. Right. Uh, there's a lot of things that people can talk about that we've never experienced. Yeah. But when you talk about education, it's like, well, we all went to school. Sure. So, therefore, this is not a foreign subject to us, and we all have had different experiences. Had good teachers, had bad teachers. Uh, and, you know, when, when we talked about bullying, that... I don't know. I, I suppose we had when I was in school. And yeah. I don't know if I was or wasn't a bully. I don't, I don't <laughs> think so. But uh, we bring things to the forefront, and they are things that we have individually experienced. And so, therefore, uh, if enough of them have experienced a bad thing, it will become a big issue in the General Assembly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what would you say was the most complex legislation that you had to deal with during your time? I, I, I think school funding has been, and I, uh, I look at it, when it comes to a complexity factor, yeah, uh, I think as we've tried to determine what is the right answer, uh, I think it's the most complex. Okay. As we try to put, as we, as we throw more pieces into the pie, right, to to give it weight. Uh, is it rural? What's the makeup of the poverty level, what's the assessed value of the property in the county, what's the median income, what's, I mean, you just look at everything and then throw in what are states doing beside us or around us or across the country. I, I think that's the one area that is so complex as to the funding issue. Yeah. But education itself, I I sat on the school tax control board with a gentleman from, I think, the Department of Education, 
who happened to also be a Manchester grad by the name of Charlie Sharp. And Charlie Sharp said one time to me, and I've used it ever since because I, I believe deeply in it. Charlie Sharp said, you know, we tried to make, we try to make education very complex, but he said, I think it is very simple. From K through three, we, le- we learn to read. And from four through 12, we read to learn. Yeah. And, and he said, I am here to tell you, if you do not read by the fourth grade, you are not gonna learn in the next eight grades. Right. And we don't teach reading after the third grade. And so people who are caught up in that uh, are going to struggle forever. And, and then we, we say, well, why? Well, we know why. Yeah. But and we also talked about uh, retaining students until they can read at a certain level. And they say, well, you know, how does that impact their lives if they're spending two years in the third grade trying to catch up on reading? And my question is, how are they going to cope with it the rest of their life when they can't read. Yeah, so, yeah, true. I mean, I, I understand there's the stigma, but that stigma doesn't go away just because we moved you to another grade where you cannot succeed. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, but uh, but I, I still think we, we struggle the how do we, how do we, come up with the right amount of dollars and the distribution of them for education. I think we talk about highway funding, we talk about higher ed funding. I think the K through 12 is the most uh, complex area that we just struggle with. And, And it's probably the area we change the most. I mean, we just, we move things around uh, more in that area than almost any other area. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Um, what about, what was your proudest moment as a legislator? That's okay. First of all, I'm not thought about it. Yeah. I, I, was, I was proud to serve. Yeah. Um, I, I thought I worked hard at it, uh, but, you know, that's that's me thinking about me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, I think what I feel the best about mm-hmm. was that I had a lot of friends. Uh, and I guess that's what I, uh, I don't know what I call that proud. I think I just, what I'm happy about is yeah. that I, I had friends. Right. Uh, but, um, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's good. All right. Um, what about your biggest challenge? that you had to overcome during your time in office? Uh, 
I think I, I look back and I think the challenge was how to spend quality time with my family, yeah. my kids. Uh, I think that was the biggest, trying try to con- control the time. Uh, and I don't know that I did a great job with that, but I think uh, that, that, was, that was the challenge. Okay. Um, what, in your opinion, is the most important work of the Indiana General Assembly? Uh, I think the most important work is to establish a quality of life yeah. for the citizens of Indiana. And, you know, that's, that's one that can be debated over and over and over, but I think that's what we should strive for, is sure. how do we achieve the best for all people? Okay. Yeah. Uh, where, where do we set the bar? Where's the low part of the bar? How high is that? Mm-hmm. Uh, Strive to, to to achieve that, and and it's when you think about it, you know, I, I I try to sit back at times as I get older and go, you know, the, the brightest people that I've ever known were the ones that sit down that sat down and drafted uh, the Constitution. Yeah, I mean. And the reason I think they were the smartest people ever is that basic document was drafted in an environment where they were looking at not a lot of people and not a lot of land. Yeah. And how did that actually work when you go to 300 and, what, 360 million people? Yeah, yeah. And... 50 states. I mean, those people were sitting there in this small cubicle, yep. and they developed something that, you know, just worked for the, the entire environment. I mean, it, yeah. but they could not even have comprehended. Yeah, yeah, I mean, all the pressure of trying to put that together and not knowing how it's going to play out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got these 13 colonies sitting yep. around that are basically little church groups yeah. and on with limited land area and a limited number of people I, I mean you know that, that group represented a percentage of the people at, at that time and then so but we now we got what 500 something 500 and some with Congress and right. and and they got 360 million people and you take a look at how many they had back then with the numbers and so yeah. it represent a huge number of people and the it, it is not a perfect model yeah I still think it's the best we've got sure 
and and I don't I don't know that we take enough pride in that, and certainly, uh, I mean we we pick at some of our forefathers and some of the things they did, but they did it in the environment that they lived in. Yeah. And whether we like it or not, that environment is is a change for all of us. Right. Changes, you know. So it's changed rapidly, and when you think about the environment that we've lived in, yeah, versus you know hundreds of years where things were pretty steady. And yeah, you had horses in the 1700s, and you had them in the 1800s, and you had them up until the early 1900s. So right, 250 years that you didn't change your mode of transportation. Yeah. And now, if you want to hire a, a ride on a rocket, yeah, yeah, it's just unbelievable how things have changed here of late. And I, I have one son who said that I can't believe that a lot of this didn't come from aliens who came from someplace else. <laughs> why didn't we pick up on this stuff? in kind of a gradual manner as yeah. opposed to all of a sudden it exploded. Yeah. So, and, and we laugh about it, but yeah. <laughs> the reality of it is the government today trying to address all the changes at the speed of the changes. Sure. And it's just in the changes today versus when I went in in 74 are extremely different. Yeah, I mean, yeah. For me to go back, uh, I thought a couple times, you know, I'd like to run again now that I, I know what I know versus what I knew what I knew then. And it's like, no, hell, <laughs> this is, uh, I don't like computers, so. Yeah, so. yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting, you know, it's, uh, like each new generation is kind of being born into a, a a world that their parents couldn't even imagine growing up. So, hey, no, I mean, you take yourself when 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 I came to the General Assembly and I was on Ways and Means. Yeah, we did not have a computer that the state owned that could run the school formula. Right. We used the Indiana State Teachers Association computer. It filled two rooms, and they ran all of the models. The state did not have a computer to run those models on. Yeah. Now you could run them on your cell phone. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, basically, if, but uh, I mean, so, uh, and that's happened in my lifetime. Yeah. With the General Assembly, and so, uh, and it is going to change exponentially yeah. as we go forward. Yes. <laughs> and the people that are serving today, and I'm telling you, from 50 years from now, they're going to read or whatever they can find that we did, and go, "What? The, how did they do it? Yeah. Without yeah. this or that? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I'll be." Uh... Ancient history by then, almost, yeah. <laughs> yeah, ancient history is about three years back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it is it is pretty wild. Um, um, let's see, so 
you, you might have mentioned a little bit about this, but uh, when did you leave the Indiana General Assembly and, and why? Okay, I, I left at the end of my second term. Yeah. I, I said I was going to run three terms. That was my, that was my pledge to my law partner and my family. Right. I thought I would three terms, and, and it took a lot more time than I thought it was going to take and what they thought. And actually, I went down to sign up for my third term, and I called my law partner and said, hey, I'm going to go. Uh, yeah. enter my candidacy for the third term and he said what will you do in the, the next two years that you haven't done mm -hmm. what job would you take Or, and I said well there would be two jobs I would like I would like to be either chairman of ways and means or the speaker everybody that's in the general assembly has those two yeah. uh, mind. and I said but if I had the opportunity to take either one of them, I would not mm -hmm. because I can't do it with my family or my job. Right. And he said, well, if you can't do what you would want to do <laughs> if you were there, then why are you going to be there? Yeah. So I called the staff and told them to write. This was like four days before the deadline to file. Yeah. And I called the staff to tell them I wasn't going to run, so I needed a press release. And I called my wife, and I thought she would be excited, but she wasn't terribly excited because she didn't want me to run. But she thought if your law partner said he didn't want you to run, you didn't. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to run, but you were. <laughs> How does that make me feel? So, right. so I chose uh, not to run. I got a call then from Governor Bowen like two weeks later to say, hey, I want to talk to you. Uh, and I also said, from a economic standpoint, it was taking way too much time yeah. uh, away from my practice and and, uh, so, and too much time. And so I got a call from Governor Bowen and he asked me if I could come back, would come back as his legislative liaison uh, and that he would pay me twice what I made in the General Assembly, and I wouldn't have to work on Mondays or Fridays so I could have more time in the, in the office and yeah. talk to my wife and my law partner, and they said, well, you like it down there so you can go back. And, and following that, then I went on as the general counsel or the chief counsel of the House for 10 years and then 16 years as general counsel of the Senate. But... Somebody said, well, I thought you couldn't stay down there. And I said, I couldn't stay in a position where my salary was set by statute. Right, right, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, I had a great, uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, the, the time got reduced a little bit from, well, I could spend more time in the office, but I could still be down there and, and once my kids were out of school, then my wife came down and spent some time down there. So uh, things things worked out, but it was a much longer trek than I thought. And then I, I lobbied then for 11 years. And I, had, I had 43 years, I think, either inside or outside. So. Right. Yeah. Interesting. 
Um, so how would you overall summarize your time as a legislator in terms of, uh, like, the most important highlights of, of your time and your development as a legislator? I, I think my highlight was I, I had the opportunity to voice opinions. Yeah. Uh, the people that were going to make decisions. Right. And, uh, and it wasn't... Uh, and I worked when I was in the legislature I could voice my opinion and I had at least the support of leadership that I could do it yeah I didn't always convince people uh, I roomed with a, a lawyer from South Bend part of the time yep and he and, he and I differed on different things uh, we agreed on things but you know we talked them through and that was that was enjoyable to me and I think being an attorney where you practice where you've got people on the other side of almost every issue you're in so you're not going to win them all you're not going to lose them all but you get to participate yeah so I think my, my greatest joy I think of being in the legislature was I got to participate sure uh and I, I never felt that I was in a position, either when I was a legislator or when I worked for the speaker or the governor or the president pro that I couldn't say what I thought. And uh, they they let me do that. They didn't always agree yeah. with me, but they, they didn't make me agree with them. So uh, I think uh, sometimes I played the devil's advocate not necessarily thinking I was that, but I think I was the other side of it. Sure. And uh, so, uh, what about? Uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, just my thought was that I want to think through things, and I'll explain why I believe this way, and you can accept it or reject it. Yeah. As long as you give me the opportunity to present it, then I'm fine. I, yeah. I don't have to win. I just think I have. I think I want to participate. Right. Now, did you have a uh, favorite story as a legislator at all? Any like, like real great memory that maybe it's a funny story or just uh, something that you can you took away from it that you remember kind of the rest of your life type of thing. I, I think one of my favorite stories. Uh, which, which I think was one day uh, Joe Kernan was the uh, lieutenant governor mm-hmm. and there was a, a and he, he was presiding over the senate and obviously he was the, uh, he was the president of the senate but he was in the minority the the president pro tem really was running the Senate. Uh, so you had a Republican running, 
actually running the Senate was a Democrat presiding over whatever he wanted to preside. Yeah. And there was a bill that came up, and this was when the Senate was fairly evenly divided. I mean, there was a possibility that the lieutenant governor might have to cast the deciding vote, although I will tell you Senator Garten never thought that should be the issue. We will stay in caucus till we decide how we're going to do this. Yeah. But there was a bill that came up, and I, I, the subject matter, I could be all wet, but I think it was some tax on cigarettes or something, of which I think the Democrats were going to oppose, and, uh, and so this bill came up, and Senator Garden was in the chair, and not... Joe Kern was someplace doing something. Yeah. And following that vote, and I mean, the Senate was close in the debate over whether we're going to do it or we weren't going to do it uh, was was still up in the air. And so afterwards, the press came in to Senator Garden's office and said, uh, they wanted to talk to him about that vote and, and Lieutenant Governor Kernan not being present. And they said, do you think he was afraid he was going to have to cast a vote that might not go well with his party? Hmm, okay. Senator Garden came absolutely unglued. Senator Garden is a Marine. Okay. Senator Garden said to the president, I've never seen this. I mean, he was visibly upset. When they yeah. Said, was he afraid to cast and he said, Lieutenant Governor Kernan was a prisoner of war <laughs> uh, and fought over there. And you think he was afraid to vote on something? That is the dumbest question I have ever heard. And this meeting is over. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, you know, he, he could have said whatever he wanted to. Yeah. He had such great respect for Joe Kernan and as a person. And, and they could disagree, uh, but it was it was one of those things you think about. You think, you know, sometimes the press tries to create something, and I guess that that was part of my problem mm-hmm. is that uh, there there were some press people that I really liked. I thought they did a job, and then I think there came a young group that thought, no. We really can't be friends with anybody here. We gotta, we gotta write what we think ought to be done. And, right. And so, um, I did not have a great relationship with most of the press. But, okay. Uh, but that day, I think, was the time I thought, here's where people stand up for one another, and, and it was an idiotic question. Yeah which that they thought through it. But, um, but overall, I, I think I, I enjoyed my time down there. Uh, was exposed to people that I would never meet, you know, just in the normal practice of law in Portland, Indiana. Yeah. Having been raised here, I, I got to meet two presidents and yeah that's cool become friends with 
governors and, and different people and, and you find out, you know, uh, how much enjoyment you can have with people you disagree with philosophically, mm-hmm. you still really enjoy being around them as people. Yeah. And that's my big takeaway from the years in the General Assembly. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. Um, now, I did read something else about how uh, someone mentioned that you read every bill that you came across during your time in the General Assembly. Is that true? I would say, well, when I was the uh, general, when I was in the General Assembly, I read every bill. Yeah. I mean, we didn't have any. I, I was down there and. Uh, I, I thought that was our job. Right. I didn't understand every one of them, but I tried to read them. Yeah. Uh, I thought, you know, somebody asked me a question about a bill, I want to at least say, you know, I read this or I understand that. And I, you know, I'm used to reading laws. That's uh, right. the statutes. It wasn't new to me. I, sure. I read. Uh, then uh, when I, uh, the, the time when I was a legislative liaison, I just read the bills that the governor was involved with and, uh, uh, as we were lobbying for the governor. But then when I went back as general counsel, uh, I got the bills that came from, uh, that were, uh, once they were presented, they would send them here to my office and I would read through and write a synopsis of each of the bills uh, from my conversations with the speaker and then when I uh, went over with Senator Garden uh, we discussed the bills a lot so I was reading those bills uh, now to say that I understood every one of them uh, I, I didn't but I, I I'm not a computer guy so I have to have everything in, on paper and yeah. I I live with a highlighter, and so yep. I would go through and highlight the bills. And the parts I didn't understand, I'd try to at least talk to somebody. But I thought if I was the advisor to the speaker or the pro tab, uh, I ought to at least know what what's in the bills as much as I can. So right, that I makes did, sense. I didn't read. I read a lot and went through a lot of highlighters. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Um, what lessons, if any, did you learn in the General Assembly? Uh, the devil is in the details. Mm, okay. Uh, it, this is, uh, I always hated to take these uh, surveys. Do you favor this or do you favor that? Right. You know, those are general. I I favor this, and then they said, well, then you should be in favor of this bill. Well, that bill addresses that subject, but it's got some problems with it. Yeah. So I can vote no, uh, even though I said I'm in favor of that concept, I'm not in favor of this particular bill the way it's worded. Yeah. And I think that's where I think a lot of legislators get and the trick bag is that you answer the general, but you're presented with the specifics. Yep. 
and and people don't understand that uh, you know that you can have that conflict right and so uh, that's that was that's, that's one of the one of the real areas of being a legislator was, sure uh, how, how do I balance those yeah that's that's interesting um Transitioning now to the last few questions I have for you and some big picture questions, kind of. Um, what advice would you give to future legislators or even current legislators? Uh, and this advice is not to... Paint yourself into a corner. Okay. I, I, I think uh, everybody wants to put you there because they say you're going to be making these decisions. I want to know how you think. Right. Well, I, I think you have to stay. It, it, it goes back to my theory you shouldn't ever say, I'm never going to vote for a tax increase. Yeah. Uh, but I want better roads. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I said I wanted both of those, but I probably can't have. They, they, they don't fit. If you're going to have better roads, my guess is that you're going to have to spend more money. Yep. And if you're going to spend more money, now, you, you can fall back on, well, I'll cut someplace else. But here again, there's there things that as we continue to say we want the government to supply this, then we're still gonna have, we're gonna have to spend more money than we spent last year. So how right. do we do that? So I, I think to stay away from specifics as to where you're gonna be, I, I think you have to be general and everybody then accuses you of just trying to protect yourself, but that's where you really are because you're gonna be dealing with specifics. Yeah. And so you need to let them know, hey, I'm going to do the, you need to do your own research. Uh, listen to people, pick people. I mean, you're going to have some people that you trust and work with them. I would give them that advice because there's going to be things that you've never been exposed to and you just don't know everything. Right. Uh, and then I think you just got to be true to yourself. Uh, am I going to do this because I think it's right, or am I going to do this because I think it's politically right? Yeah. And uh, I say you've got to live with yourself. And so uh, I, I, when I was in the legislature, or at least the leaders that I worked with and worked under said, I will not ask anybody to go against their deeply held beliefs. Right. Uh, and I will respect you for that. And I'm not going to browbeat you into changing those basic beliefs that you have. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I would tell the legislators, yeah, you, you need to be true to yourself. Right. Uh, 
the worst thing that can happen is they'll vote you out of office. Yeah. In my opinion, you went out for the right reasons. You got thrown out for the right reasons. Sure. You stayed true to what you thought was right. So. Yeah, okay, that's good advice, yeah. Um, how has the state of Indiana changed over the course of your lifetime? I, I, I think we, Indiana has changed, but I think Indiana has, is still a state that changes gradually. Okay. They are not the soup du jour, uh, this is what I want today, this is what I want tomorrow. I think uh, sometimes that's bad. I mean, we, we, maybe we don't change fast enough, but I think we are not the leaders in a lot of things. I mean, we're, we, we kind of stick with what got us there and try to make them better. Right. Uh, as opposed to throwing them, throwing them away and trying something new this year. And if it doesn't work, we'll throw it away and try something new. I think we have, we have built an economy, I think, that is much more diversified than it was. Yep. Uh, you know, when we were the steels, automotive, and agriculture, those uh, basic uh, blue-collar, uh, hard labor uh, economy. I think we have made great strides in expanding opportunities. Yeah. Uh, uh, we, we talk about we are who we are. I mean, we don't have we don't have any oceans. People aren't coming here to spend time at the beach. Yep. Uh, they're not coming here to snow ski in our mountains, which we don't have. Uh, I think we're a hardworking state. Uh, slow to change, and that and that can be good or bad. But I think it is us. Yeah. And I think and overall has not been that bad for us. And, and we have made changes where they have been very beneficial, I think. Sure. Uh, I think we were slow for foreign investments uh, in their companies. We can talk whether that's good or bad, but they certainly have created a lot of jobs in Indiana. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them are high-tech, and uh, so it's we, we are what we are. Uh, we're, we're still uh, very dependent on agriculture. And, and people like that way of life. And, and we're seeing changes there. Uh, but uh, overall, I'm, I'm proud to be a Hoosier. So. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Uh, how do you think the Indiana General Assembly has changed? Uh, I think... I think the General Assembly has changed because they now have resources to uh, that broaden uh, 
their experiences or the ability to at least uh, read, uh, go on the internet, to, yeah. to do that were much harder to do. And, and I think the people that are running, I think now are exposed to, I think more of the problems are out there that we see than we used to. Right. Uh, I mean, when I was growing up, uh, in Portland, Indiana, we did not have, we did, we could not get a television station that was located in Indiana. Ours was Dayton and Cincinnati. Then Fort Wayne came on. But now, I mean, you've got the world at your fingertips. Yeah. And I, I think the General Assembly uh, can now actually make changes quicker than when I first started because they've got more information and and are personally exposed to more things. Sure. Uh, and I think that will... And, and it also conflicts you because the more things that are good <laughs> probably bring with them more things that are bad that are unintended consequences. So I still think you have to kind of weigh that is that I know more, but I also know more of the problem. So yeah. how, do I, how do I address the solution? Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, what about politics in Indiana? Do you think that's changed at all? or? I was reading in the Indianapolis Star and I about condemning us as being so conservative. Mm -hmm. uh, just in an article today said, you know, it's hard to draft people to the Pacers because uh, Indiana's a conservative state. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I'm trying to figure that one out, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I think we are conservative. I think. Yeah. Uh, that has some strong points and also has some weak points but yeah. overall uh, I, I still think we're, we're good I think the people are basically good people right. trying to you know work hard to better themselves and and uh, you know, are we doing it in every segment of the population? And, right. And I think the breakup of the family impacts all of us, uh, and that makes a difference and puts a lot of pressure on our schools. I mean, they now become the parents, and we don't like that to a certain extent. And, yeah. You know, the school's teaching this or that, or... And if they're not getting it home, should they get it from the schools? I mean, these are these are basic philosophical questions that we will disagree on. Sure, sure. And uh, the legislature is going to have to fight for, with that, and we will continue to get. And, and I think the best thing that can happen is that we're going to get people in the legislature. Uh, I, I think. Back when I first went to the legislature, I think the biggest difference back then 
was rural versus urban, whether you were rural Democrats or rural Republicans, you probably had more in common than the urban Republicans. Yeah. And the urban Republicans uh, had more in common with the urban Democrats. Right. uh, And now, you know, it's kind of morphing out as to what's rural or urban or suburban or (laughs) yeah. Getting different lifestyles, and uh, uh, you know, do you call Hamilton County urban, or no, we want to call them suburban? Right. Uh, do you call Lake County suburban? No, that's urban. And, uh, I mean, so uh, we're, we are we're morphing into a we don't know what to call you, but. Uh, you're still going to have neighbors, but how do we get along with each other? Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, you know, talking about Hoosers in general, what, if any, enduring qualities do Hoosers still have or hold dear? My, I think they're hard workers. I, I, I think we do have a work ethic. Yeah. Um, and I think the one thing I see eating into that is the drug problem, and I don't, I, I wish I had an answer to that. Right. Uh, but I don't. But I think overall, I think Hoosiers are hard workers. Okay. Um, so let's see here. The last question I have for you then, uh, what do you want Hoosiers to know about their role in relation to the function of the Indiana General Assembly? I, I want them, I want them to dig deep. I, I want them to study, I want them to study our whole system of government. I think we've kind of gotten away from it. Yeah. We want to blame one for this or blame for that. And I think they think they don't have a role. But right. In my opinion, unless they're going to study, then, I mean, if, if they're voting without studying, I don't know that that makes us any better. You yeah. Can have a, you can have a larger turnout. But if they are not doing their homework, we are going to get a better result. Sure. Yeah. And and that doesn't mean that the Republicans are going to control or the Democrats are going to control. But it does mean that we ought to know what they what what they can do. Yeah. What they should do. And then what we as just individual citizens have to do. Yeah. And government isn't going to be the answer to that. The overall big question, we, we got to do it as one person at a time and make this a better place. Yeah. The government can't force you to be better. Yeah, definitely. Um that's all the questions I have for you. Do you have any other things that you want to say that I didn't ask about? Or I, I, I've enjoyed this conversation. We have a, I, I sat down with some of the old legislators, and, and 
we reminisce, but I don't think we get into it at this level. We, yeah, okay. We talk more about the people we served with and some of the idiosyncrasies of those. And, you know, sure. This guy was absolutely just crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and I've gone down there, and, and I think still today, and this, this bothers me to a certain extent, is that you will meet a legislator and you'll go, did any of the voters actually meet this person? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I, I mean, I could be missing the point altogether, but, uh, you know, I overall, the people I met down there uh, on both sides of the aisle yeah. uh, were quality people. Yeah. And uh, we, we just, we, we, we bring different things to the table. We bring, we... We are the sum of our experiences, and no two people, I mean, my brother and I certainly are not the same two people. Yeah. Uh, we were raised in the same household, we went to the same schools, and actually even to college, the same college, so, but, you know, we are, uh, we've all been, had different friends that influence us, and so yeah. we were combination of all that uh, uh, I think I've I've gained a lot by having served with a lot of really quality people on both sides of the aisle and, sure. and for that I'm ever forever grateful yeah that's that's fantastic it's it sounds like uh, you had pretty good experience and uh, yeah it's great yeah I, I I look back and I think you know I I, I've just had a had a, some great opportunities, and and uh, if you know five hundred less people would have thought I shouldn't have them in 1974, I wouldn't have had them. So yeah, <laughs> thanks for, for those people. Yeah, definitely, definitely, it makes all the difference. <laughs> well, well um, enjoy. Yeah. With you. Yeah. No. Thank you so much for doing this. I mean, this has been great. You've given you know so much information, and uh, yeah, it was really, uh, really good to listen to you talk. And I think that this will be a, a great addition to the project. So thanks again so much. Hey, thank you, Ben. All right. Have a good one. All right. You too. And uh, feel free, you know, whenever you can, to either scan those forms back to me and send them. I'm going to do it. I've got them out on here, and I'll get them back. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye-bye.